0: And all of God's people said hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, team. This morning I want you to just think with me of how many Bible translation is in a given Christian home. Let's think about this. At least most of us have one. Many of us have many. Many. Just think with me also, when you realize that 80% of Christians in America do not read the Bible regularly. Imagine that 60% of believable Christians or churchgoers, professing Christians, say that the Bible is not the infallible Word of God. Now, I want to shake my head in despair, and, and I want to say to these folks, do you realize that there were people who were killed, some lost their lives in order to give us that English Bible? The first Bible translator into English, John Wycliffe in 1384. He was imprisoned and died in prison But then 40 years later, think about this, in 1428, they dug his body out of the grave and they burnt it. Later on, William Tyndall tried to complete the task, translate the Bible into English, and Tyndall too, in 1553 was strangled and burnt at stake. And the last words, his last words were, Lord... Open the eyes of the king. Prior to the Reformation, people were not allowed to have a Bible. You could never own a Bible. In your own language, for sure, absolutely not. The church hierarchy insisted that the Bible and worship must be in Latin. Not only that, but the Latin Bible was chained to the lectern of the church, and nobody could move it and take it away. It's in Latin, and even if a layman could read Latin, he was not allowed to read it. By the way, in August, I'm doing a short series of messages entitled Defending the Lion, and I'm talking about the Bible and the Scripture and why it's so important to know what the Scripture is all about. The Bible, Old and New Testament is all about. I'm calling it defending the lion, playing on the words that Luther, Martin Luther said, defending the Bible is like defending a lion. We're going to defend the lion. Why am I telling you all of this? Because today, even though we have a plethora of different translations of the Bible, the problem we're having in the many church today is the same as that of the medieval time. We're having the same problem. It's manifested differently but the, or, or different format, but it's the same problem. Back then in the medieval church, they tried to stop people from reading and knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But today, many church leaders publicly doubt and deny the authority of the Bible, and they're achieving the same results. Many others teach that you can pick and choose what you like and what you don't like from the Bible. As a matter of fact, I had already finished my sermon preparation, and then I got something in the email that was absolutely it was mind-boggling. It was so related to this. I thought I'd just read you a little bit of it. Utilizing Wikipedia's tried and true method of letting anyone in the world edit the, its content. I don't know whether you know this or not, but Wikipedia and I have a page. Anybody can go into my page in Wikipedia and change my biography and people believe it and they think it's true. That's just how it is. The Wiki Bible, online, anyone can go in there and can edit the inspired Word of God. Online Bible can be edited on the fly anyone in, by anyone in the planet with no login requirements. The creators of the new Wiki Bible hope that it will encourage people to do just edits out and edit out the verses that offend them or condemn their lifestyle. Verses that doesn't fit reality into your theology, you delete them. Don't like a verse? Just edit it. One of the creators of the New Bible, Bob Bell, said that in a video announcing the Internet Bible. We want to inject some values from your modern culture into the text. Have at it. We're no longer restricted by the suffocating, oppressive rigidity of believing what God said. Now, we can make Him say what we want Him to say. I know it's a parody, but it's true to what is really happening in many a place. This, beloved, same self-centered attitude that is of old, now dressed in a new dress, this endeavor of bringing doubt to the authority of the Word of God is as old as the serpent in the garden who said to Eve, How can you be sure that God really said this? The same self-centered attitude continues today. Here's a rule of thumb. Listen to me. Here's a rule of thumb that always, always, always works. (laughs) When self and arrogance are manifested in the church, and I'm talking about the church in general, the true gospel is hindered. Always, always as a rule of thumb, whenever the opinion of the preacher or the opinion of the teacher trumps the inspired, inerrant Word of God, the gospel is hindered. Look at what we have today. We've got a social gospel, prosperity gospel, black gospel, gay gospel, modified gospel, self-gospel, a smorgasbord gospel, and the list goes on and on and on. Question. What is the disease that all of these symptoms exhibit? Is the elevating of one's own opinion, one's own idea above the inerrant Word of God. Don't you forget that. And if 1 Corinthians 14 teaches us anything, which you heard it read ably, if it teaches us anything, It teaches us that whenever the self dominates, the gospel is diminished. Let me repeat this. Whenever the self dominates, the gospel is diminished. This could take hundreds of forms, but the bottom line is the same. The Corinthians were abusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They really were. The reason? Self. Always. It's like an onion. You keep peeling, you keep peeling, you peeling, you get down into the self. Let me give you a historic background that only very, very, very short. <laughs> very short historic background so you understand what the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul in writing of this epistle is all about. In Corinth, like all Greek cities at that time, most of the Greek cities at that time, they, of course, Uh, pagan worship, and the gospel came into uh, them where they were worshiping, having pagan worship, and pagan worship always accompanied with ecstasy. This type of ecstasy manifested itself in babbling and gibbering and, 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 and speaking of what they would call the languages of the gods and the goddesses in the pagan world. Remember I told you in chapter 12, those of you who are not here, you can download it. I told you back in chapter 12 that for every spiritual gift, for every gift that the Holy Spirit gives us, Satan comes up with a counterfeit gift. Every gift the Holy Spirit gives, Satan has a counterfeit. In the Corinthian church, most of the, much of the speaking in tongues was taking on the flavor of pagan ecstasy. See, now You understand. Why why he is so adamant about this? They neutralize the rational senses and open themselves to exhibitionalism. And that is why verse 26, Paul is adamant that the worship must be edifying for the whole body, not just for the few, the selfish few. Hear me right, please. This is important. As you read very carefully, 1 Corinthians 14, you will discover that their worship has been a bedlam. Well, we know that from the communion time because they were bringing the food and they were not even waiting for each other. And, and, and it was, the worship was a bedlam. It was a chaos. And the apostle has been exercised about that. Uh, they were giving very little thought as to the rest of how the body of the believers feel let alone a visiting non-believer who would never come under conviction when you hear all this gibberish stuff going on. He will not hear that he or she is a sinner and they're heading for hell, but Jesus has a way of escape out of that hell by coming to Him who shed His blood for you and rose again for you. That's the only message That is going to bring people to their knees and come to God believing in Him. You can beautify it, you can dress it up, and you can make it, take all the sharp edges out of it and make it soft and palatable to our culture, but that will not get people to heaven. But before I get carried away, let me give you five things, five principles that the Apostle Paul gives the Corinthians and he gives us about worshiping in truth and spirit. Five principles. Let me recite them for you. First of all, he says, worship must be edifying for the whole body. How many? The whole body, verses 1 to 5. Then he said that worship must be filled with clarity, verses 6 to 12. Thirdly, he said, it must be rational, not just emotional, and I'm going to come to that. Verses 13 to 19. Fourthly, it must not be counterfeit. Be careful of the counterfeit. Verses 20 to 28 and finally, the fifth and the final principle, that worship must solely and only based, founded, and springs out of the Word of God, verses 29 to 40. Now, we got our work cut out for us. Are you ready for it? Are you ready? But I'm going to move you so fast. I mean, if you blink, you're going to miss one of those, okay? Worship must be edifying to the whole body. Everybody that walks in here is so significant. Let me tell you something, we say that in this church, but we believe it because we believe the Scripture. You are not a face in a large group of people. You are not just one of For God, you are an individual. He sees you individually. He knows you individually. He loves you individually. He calls you by name individually. And therefore, everyone in the body is important. And therefore, the edifying of every single person in the body is important. And while the apostle Paul... Says that every believer must discover, we saw that in chapter 12. Every believer must discover their spiritual gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they use it in their life. And we saw that the Corinthians, on the other hand, of all the other churches, they decided they were going to clamor only for one gift. And even then they were misusing it. Why? Because they wanted attention. Hey, look at me, guys. Look at me, boys. Not the glory of God, me. Beloved, if you are dissatisfied with the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you, I want you to ask yourself the following questions. Why? Why I want another gift? Um, Is it to serve me or to serve uh, the congregation, the body? Is it for personal use or for blessing of others? In 12.4, Paul said to all believers who are born of the Spirit of God are baptized into that one Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. No other spirits. And that's why it says test the spirits, test the spirits, because false spirits can sneak in in any church. In chapter 12, verse 10, he said some were given gift of tongues, others were given the gift of interpretation of tongues. But the folks in Corinth They view speaking in tongues to be glamorous, and they want it. They want it because it draws attention, adulation, and even the envy on on the part of the rest of the body. So here is what happened. Listen carefully. All the others in the church wanted in on this particular gift. Why? Pride, attention-getting. Self-promotion, power, control. So they were trying out to outdo each other. (laughs) They were trying to outdo each other in trying to get that one gift. And in doing so, so they opened themselves wide to Satan to come in and bring his what? His counterfeit gifts. And that is why he's pleading with them. And that is why, look at verse 4 with me, please. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who speaks in the Word of God, forth-telling, that is, telling, thus says the Lord in His Word, that person edifies the body. Beloved, through the years, I have learned that selfishness of any kind That's why you have to sacrifice yourself every single day, sometimes several times a day for me. And you have to constantly sacrifice it because selfishness of any kind short-circuits prayer. Did you know that? It tarnishes everything it touches. It creates havoc everywhere it goes. (laughs) Hear me right, please. The Corinthians did not understand that half of our problems is wanting our own way, and the other half is getting our way. Hello. It's like the little boy who was on a hobby horse with his sister, and the little boy said, if one of us could just get off this hobby horse, then there would be more room for me. (laughs) Look at verse 5. Paul is not despising. I want to make that very clear. Paul is not despising the gift of tongues. He's not despising it. In fact, he said, if it's up to me, I'll give it to all of you. But I know it's not, it's not good for your, so, for your ego. That's, that can really be a destructive thing. It's, but he goes into said that gift is not for everyone. Again, go back to 1210. It's only for some. Oh, but there's more. Nobody could ever accuse the Apostle Paul of sour grapes. He said, Well, you know, Paul is saying that because he just doesn't know how to speak in tongues. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> but it only was for self edification while reading and teaching and expounding the Word of God. Blesses everyone. How many? Secondly, worship must be filled with clarity. Look at verses 6 to 12. Paul said that when there is biblical clarity, verse 7, everybody will be edified. But if there's no biblical clarity, it's like somebody playing a musical instrument who had never played that instrument before. Let me tell you the thing, mom and dad, I know many of you are going to identify what I'm going to say. One of our children, who shall remain nameless, (laughs) decided in middle school that he's going to play the trombone. Vroom, 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 vroom all day. I had to run away from the house. (laughs) In the same way, when biblical truth is not communicated clearly, and I'm going to add here, so you know this is, I take responsibility, I'm going to add bluntly because i know that's what people say about me but that's okay i take that as a badge of honor if it's not spoken clearly and bluntly and honestly it's a whole bunch of noise it's just noise listen having known languages now you notice i said known languages i've studied languages i never said i speak languages People ask me how many languages do you speak. I said only broken English, (laughs) and I am not kidding you. The the linguist in our family is my wife, not me. But knowing languages that I, as I studied them, I know that it's the meaning of the words, not the literal translation. It's the meaning. Not long ago, in fact, now a few years ago, now, but I was preaching in a certain Middle Eastern country, and. Because I can't speak Arabic with a lick, you know. I mean, uh, I I always have an interpreter. So we were in the pastor's office, and there were three guys who were all qualified to translate. And they were going like this, now you do it. No one said, no, you do it. And this one, you do it. No, you do it. And I thought, well, this is biblically in honor of preferring one another. It wasn't the case at all. (laughs) I asked the pastor afterward, he said, oh, they all don't like to translate for you. I said, why? Is it because you know the language, and you are known for stopping in the middle of the thing if they got the meaning wrong to correct them, and they don't want to do it. <laughs> and I said, Listen, I understand that. I really do, because I have done it. If they miss the meaning, they can be a literal word translation, but the meaning is not the same. So, I stopped and said, no, 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 I mean this. One. <laughs> so, they kind of try to pass the buck, so get somebody else to get embarrassed. <laughs> Beloved, Paul is saying when people go to church, they're not there to hear the preacher's political opinion, or his fancy ideas, or his uh, pontificating about the pop culture and all this stuff. He said, no, 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 no. They are coming to hear the gospel clearly preached. Whether they agree with it or not, it doesn't matter. Why? Why? because it's only when the Word of God is clearly, and Ahmad might either bluntly preached, it builds up, it corrects, it encourages, it comforts, it challenges. And when the Word of God is clearly communicated, we're going to find beauty for ashes, and it pours the oil of joy instead of mourning. It is, replaces the garment of... Of of heaviness for the garment of praise. Worship of God must never be guided by selfishness. And that is why Paul said prophecy, more accurately, expounding the Word of God, is paramount. It's paramount. Worship must be edifying to how many? Secondly, worship must be filled with clarity. Thirdly, worship must be rational, not just emotional. Now, having said that, you couldn't be sitting here for very long without knowing I'm an emotional man. (laughs) I am very emotional, have been all my life, and that's fine. used to bother me in the early days, but God helped me get over that. And there's nothing wrong with emotions. But if it's only emotional and not rational, then people are not going to be edified, And you often hear me say this. It is not how high can you jump for Jesus. It's how straight you can walk when you land. Absolutely true. Verse 14. If I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind not fruitful. If the mind is not engaged, it's not going to help anyone. Not even me. If your mind is not engaged in worship, you will not spiritually grow. Can I get an amen? Amen. Also, if I pray in gibberish or self-focused, if my prayer was just about me, 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 God, me, God, me, God, you're going to find very few people are going to say amen. In fact, nobody will say amen. To be sure, in the day of Pentecost, the disciples did not understand what they were saying. Focus with me. Because they were not speaking gibberish, you were speaking a known language. Languages that are spoken. Now, the historians say there were two million people in the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. I find it very hard to imagine how can you cram two million people in that little city. But that's what they say. It say hundreds of thousands. They came from all over the world to, as pilgrims to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost was a big celebration, big feast for Jews. And these Jewish people coming from everywhere, from all over Europe. They were coming from Asia Minor. They came from Libya, from Egypt. You read about it in the book of Acts. It tells you all the countries that they're represented. And so, here they are. Most of them did not speak Hebrew. By the time you get to third, fourth, fifth generation Jews, they did not know Hebrew. They basically may learn the prayers and few things to say. Just like American Jews today, who've been here for hundreds of years, they they don't really speak Hebrews. I have so many of them, my dear friends, they know a few words, but not they don't don't speak Hebrew. Here they are. This is a great opportunity for evangelism. Here's a wonderful opportunity for people to hear the gospel in their own languages. So what does the gracious Holy Spirit do? He supernaturally gives the gift of language to the apostles. So they were hearing the gospel in their own language. Now remember, the disciples probably never been out of Israel. They did not speak language. They have not learned. They didn't go to language school. did not learn languages. So, supernaturally, the Holy Spirit gave them other tongues or other languages to speak so that these all these Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of foreign Jews can hear the gospel that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who's expected throughout all the Old Testament, came, he died on a cross, was buried, rose again, and he's soon coming to judge the world. And they heard this message that was struck in their hearts. Among those Jews in Jerusalem on that day were Jewish folks, from the city of Alexandria in Egypt. And they heard the gospel of the Messiah Jesus, and they were converted so thoroughly to Christ. Unlike what we do today, they did not want to keep that message to themselves. At the cost of their own lives, they took that gospel back home to Egypt. and a nation that was worshiping the god ra the god of the, the sun god and they began to preach the risen christ the dying savior rising savior and thousands in fact they, they, we were told that within a short period of time 85% of the population converted to christ listen to me i am one grateful dude to these Jewish people from Egypt, who were there in the day of Pentecost, because when they heard the gospel message, they brought it to Egypt, my ancestors were converted and became believers in Jesus Christ, and therefore has been a strong church in Egypt ever since for 2,000 years. To this day, over 15 million who believe the gospel because of the gift of tongues. You see, you have to understand, you have to understand, God always, always has a purpose. Always. When you wonder if, what God's purpose for you, when you go through doubt, when you're not sure, always remember that God has a purpose for your life. He really does. He has a purpose for every individual. That's so why I told you earlier, you're not one in a masses of people. You are individual as far as God is concerned. He sees you as if you were the only one who's ever lived. God always has a purpose. God's gifts always have purpose. Worshiping God always has purpose. Serving God always has pur- purpose. Ministering to others always have a purpose. Exercising your spiritual gifts always has a purpose, and that purpose is always, always, always edifying and blessing others. Now, I know many of you know this, but at least my good friends know this, and I spend a lot of time in prayer, and I'm, my prayer time, even if there may be a need in my own life, I find myself, I'm praying for others, I'm praying for others, I'm praying for others. And I finished praying, and I remember, I haven't prayed for myself. I looked at him and I said, God, I, you know what my needs are. It doesn't matter, because that is really what we are supposed to do. We are to be about others. And that's why the whole minute, the 2020 vision is wanting to belong, so that others can pray for you, that others can minister to you, so that you can minister to others. Fourthly, it must not be counterfeit, verses 20 to 28. Paul starts this section by appealing to the Corinthians to grow up, wise up. It breaks my heart in two when I'm talking to somebody who's been sitting under the gospel for 20 years and have no discernment. It breaks my heart. He said, be mature, not immature, and non-discerning. Verse 20, brethren, do not be childish in understanding. In malice, yes, by all means be childish in that, but in understanding, be mature. We have been seeing throughout the series of messages. Let me tell you something. If you think this message is from 1 Corinthians, hard to to hear, hard to listen to. Let me tell you, try to prepare it. Because God breaks me, breaks me a million ways before I can come up with this message. You see, throughout this series, you're seeing this particular church, this particular group of people, believers in Corinth. They were, they were loveless. They were immature. They were not discerning. They were carnal Christians. And Paul Is pleading with him because they were manifesting this immaturity and lack of discernment by not distinguishing between the true gifts of the Holy Spirit and the counterfeit gifts. It's breaking the apostle's heart that said, you should be able to discern this but they were so stubborn about their own opinion, they do not want to be confused with the facts. We know some people like that, don't we? We know some people like that. You're not one of them. I heard about the stubborn man. Not everybody wises up when they get older, by the way. A friend of mine says we'll become more of what we are. This stubborn, e- egotistical man, I mean, he had an opinion about everything. Every subject he's an expert on, he knows all about it, everything. And as he got older, he got hard of hearing, he also having a problem with his eyesight. And one day, he and his wife and a group of friends decided to go f- to an art exhibition, art exhibit. Like everything else in life, he just saw himself as a great art critic. And he was commenting about this, and he is commenting about this. Even though he had forgotten his glasses at home, and he can't really see very well. As he walked through this gallery, through the gallery, it did not stop him, even though he didn't have his glasses. That did not stop him from expressing an opinion on every painting. Then he stood in front of a very large frame at the exhibition. And he looked at the picture frame for a while, and he looked at it, and he looked at it. You know, like you and I do, kind of think we know what we think. Well, I have no idea. I say, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll make a comment. I don't. I'm not going to fake it. No, nothing about art. But he looks at this big frame and he says, "Um, this frame is not right for the picture. It's not in keeping with the subject. And he began to pontificate. He says, as far as the subject is concerned, it's altogether homely, too ugly, in fact, to be made to make a good picture. Upon hearing all of this, his wife edged her way through the crowd and went over, whispered something in his ear, but do you think he heard it? No. Kept on expounding. Is this a terrible mistake for an artist to paint such a homely subject against the background? And his wife tried and tried and tried, but to no avail. Finally, she nudged him. As some of us may know what that's like, you know, just to stop the embarrassment. And finally, she had to yell, You are looking at a mirror. You can tell the Corinthians, but you couldn't tell them much. They were not interested in learning. They were not interested in biblical truth. They were not interested in growing. They were not interested in edifying others. They were only interested in impressing others. They were only interested in feeding their ego. They were only interested in pleasing themselves. And that's why the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle John in 1 John 4, 1 said… Test the spirits to see whether they are of God or not. Fifthly and finally, worship must be solidly based upon the Word of God. Verses 29 to 40. Now, there's a key verse here. If you have your own Bible, underline it. If you're using your iPad or iPhone, highlight it. Verse 33. It's really a wonderful verse. I know my friend the Presbyterian's have claimed this verse to be theirs. For God is not the God of confusion, but the God of order and peace. The reason we all should desire the gift of forth telling the truth from the Word of God, because every time… Are you hearing me? Say amen. amen. I lost some of you. I can see that. I lost some of you. And I know, I know probably where you went, but come back. <laughs> Every time you speak biblical truth to a colleague or a friend or a neighbor, you are prophesying. What are you doing? Every time you bring the Word of God to bear upon a problem, you are what? What? Every time you instruct your children, mom and dad, every time you, you teach your children, instruct your children in the Word of God, you are what? God. Every time you share relevant Scripture with someone, you are what? God. And that is why pro- what prophecy means, because it's not a new revelation, uh, because anything that's contrary or counter to the Scripture is not a revelation from God. Because, beloved, the, the, the Bible is complete I wish I have time, I tell you from history, those who believe that canon is still open and God still speaks authoritatively, many of those churches in history were totally annihilated. The Bible is complete. Say that with me. The Bible is you cannot add to it, and most certainly you cannot subtract from it. Why is prophecy a superior gift? Because it convicts of sin, it brings us under conviction, because it reveals to us the secrets of our hearts, because it brings us to on our knees, which is the rightful place for all of us to be before God. And the gift of prophecy can only be truly administered and fulfilled only if you are spending adequate time with that Word every day. Say, well, I read once a week. Well, have you ever seen somebody who said, I breathed once a week? Or I eat once a week? God help us. <laughs> no. It is my ardent prayer. It is my ardent prayer that everyone at the sound of my voice who's not spending adequate time with the Word of God, you can begin today. It's never too late. And this may be a warning to some, maybe. Final warning to others, but whenever, wherever you are, it is never too late. And you will never know what you're missing until you start feeding your soul upon the Word of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that anything I said that is of me be forgotten, but anything of the Holy Spirit be imprinted deep in the hearts and the souls and the minds of your servants, your children. And Father, I pray, because we pray for revival, and yet, Father, we're not going to see a revival when your children are living in a halfway house. Half the time, with the enemies of the cross, and half the times with You. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that You wake us up before it is too late. For I pray that in the matchless mighty name of Jesus. Amen, and amen, and amen. Stand up and sing with us.